Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Well, happy Mother's Day. So glad uh, you are here. This has got to be one of the weirdest Mother's Day that uh, any of us have experienced. And uh, so uh, I know that uh, plenty of you will be celebrating it in different ways, and I sure hope that you remembered the Mother's Day gifts. Now, I also know that many of you use Amazon, and you have come to depend upon Amazon to deliver your items in like a day or two, and so um, I, I hope you didn't depend on that, and I hope you didn't actually miss Mother's Day. And uh, so I, I, I can't give you any more warning now. It's already too late. I will tell you, though, if it helps, I, uh, I ordered Cheryl's gift on April 13th, and uh, it, it didn't make it. And so this is my confession and my apology. Sorry, babe. Um, it is coming. Uh, it, uh, it, it is late. And so uh, there it is, unfortunately. Uh, it's really tough because, you know, we also have guys like, like Chris and his kids who have been working on a Mother's Day gift for weeks. They built a victory garden for Anya. And so, like, my gift's not even showing up. And they're, they've, they're like, building stuff and all that. So the pressure really is on. And uh, if, you know, you don't, and you really don't want to screw up quarantine Mother's Day because every time there is a global pandemic, you will hear about this day. And so you really don't want to mess it up. So be good to your mom. Remember how good they are to you. In fact, just this week I was reading about rats because apparently rats are really, really good moms, which I didn't, I didn't know, but I thought was super fascinating. So a rat, believe it or not, a rat's brain is more like our brain than it is even to like a mouse uh, and so there's a lot of similarities, which is why, of course, re researchers love to study them. And they found out that, that rats change when they become moms. So if you were to take a, uh, just a, a female rat that uh, didn't yet have any kids, they, they watch how these rats uh, conduct themselves, like, say, out on a hunt. And so they say, you know, they're sort of interested and they go out on a hunt and they'll go find like a cricket or something and they, they can mostly catch the cricket and, and they mostly, you know, can bring the cricket home to, to eat and all that. But, but a mother rat has all of these sharpened senses and so they become much more fearsome hunters, believe it or not, after they have pups, which is really fascinating. But then if any of you have watched moms shopping during this pandemic, you actually know that this is true. There is a sort of ferocity 
right now, um, try to grab that last slab of meat when you are at one of the grocery stores and you will see this change in real life. Um, I also found out, by the way, that a, a mother rat will choose nursing her babies over a cocaine hit. And so if we can draw any parallels to that, it could mean that, you're, that your moms are actually addicted to you. Like you're like a drug for them, which I don't know if that's reassuring to you or what, but uh, I, I just found this really super fascinating. They also said, by the way, that, that, that rat moms, they shower this, this incredible amount of love on their babies. And, uh, you know, they do it with this sort of exuberant licking, which I'm not recommending. I'm, I'm just saying it's their version of, of rat love, you know, and affection. And so when, when a mother rat does this, the researchers tell us that not only do the baby rats get encouraged by this, and not only do they grow stronger, but it actually changes their, their genetic makeup epigenetically changes take place because of all of the love that a mother rat will shower on her babies. And so all that love that your mom has showered on you, is it's doing all of these incredibly good things to you, even at the genetic level. Uh, and so be really good to your mom. And moms, thank you so much. The quality of your love for us, it has uh, been one of the most transformative uh, impacts in any of our lives. And so today we just honor all of our moms out there who have loved us and um, who have protected us and taught us really just a little bit more about uh, God's unconditional love. So thank you. Now in all seriousness, I, I do know that uh, for some of you, this is going to be your first Mother's Day without mom. And uh, we just, uh, just want to express um, our uh, compassion and our sorrow and our condolences to you. We know that that is going to be exceptionally difficult and challenging, and we're praying for you on, uh, on this Mother's Day. So may God grant you an extra measure of his peace. There, and of course, there's all sorts of heartbreaking stories like this coming at us every day due to COVID-19. Some that really caught my attention over the last weeks, one of them was this Dr. Lorna Breen. She's a top emergency room doctor at uh, New York uh, Presbyterian Hospital. And she had been treating so many uh, COVID-19 patients and she was so overwhelmed by it, she ended up committing suicide. No previous record of depression or anything like that. Uh, or there's the elderly couples who many have been married decades and who are dying so close together. There was a couple in Louisiana married 64 years. They died within 10 days of each other. There was a Chicago area couple. They'd been married nearly six decades and they died just a few hours apart. And of course, many of us heard about the Florida couple that after a half century together, they died within six minutes of each other. These sorts of of tragic stories keep coming at us, and it's heart-wrenching to read. Uh, one of our congregants sent me an email this week sort of outlining uh, their experience of how our students have so much that they're losing uh, now that schools aren't going back and the kids don't get to say goodbye to their friends in the same way or their teachers or their classrooms or anything like that. And there are ceremonies that they're not going to be able to participate in the same way and all this kind of stuff 
has been going on and the, the challenges, they become overwhelming to us. You know, the researchers told us that we were in the midst of a loneliness epidemic before the pandemic hit. And now we have loneliness compounded by coronavirus. These are dark days. And so we turn to God's word and we say, are there any promises from God's word that we can cling to during dark days? And of course, there are plenty. The one we want to look at this morning is found in Psalm 30. And we're going to be looking at it in the New Living Translation. So by the way, if you're using the online platform, you can, you'll see over there, there's a little tab for the Bible, and you can actually go there, you can select the Bible, and you can change the translation. And I'd love for you to change that to uh, the New Living Translation this morning, because I just love the way a couple of these things are phrased in, uh, in that version of, uh, in that translation of the Bible. It's also, by the way, where you will find uh, the, the private chat tabs will also pop over there. And so if somebody, if one of the hosts is reaching out to you to follow up on a prayer request or to ask a question or something like that, that's where you will see uh, those private chat shows up. Just look for the initial and a little dot on it or something like that. All right, so here we are, Psalm 30. We're going to be starting in verse 1. Go ahead and read it with me. So wherever you are right now, just let's just read this out together, starting in verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord. For you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain, and then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord, I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give you thanks forever. Beautiful picture from God's word. I hope you read it with me. If you did, would you just drop it in the chat and let us know that you're actually reading along with us because I just think that is super cool to know that you are still with us. And the verse that I really want to focus on there is Psalm 30, verse 5, where it says that weeping may last through the night. The King David is the author of this particular psalm, and, and in it he speaks of the darkness of his enemies striking out against him. And he hints that there are some other health problems that caused him great concern that uh, God was working in, and he felt like he might tumble headlong into the pit of death, into Sheol, uh, as the writer recorded it. And of course, every one of us knows that this is true. We all experience these dark nights that seem to have no end. I have sort of semi 
regular bouts of insomnia. They keep me up at night, and, and in those, those minutes and in those hours, in the darkness, they are some of the longest uh, moments of my entire day and week and even life, it seems. And all of us experience it because it's not, of course, just simply the literal darkness that matters, but it's those, those seasons of darkness. It's those times throughout the days and the weeks and the months. And sometimes it seems they go on for even years where we battle heartache and doubt and insecurity and we have the fear of our enemies and we have the fear of our truest enemy and we have worries about the future and there are these long dark moments and the psalmist noted there another reason for his despair it's found in verse six and I can't go into it too much but I want the small groups this week I know you'll be interacting with some of this stuff and this is a great area to spend some time on he says in verse six when I was prosperous I said nothing can stop me now you can catch that hint there of arrogance that he's starting to to talk about that, you know, in his power, nothing is going to be able to stop him now that he is so strong. Then it says in verse 7, your favor, O Lord, made me secure as a mountain, and then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. See, this arrogant self-confidence will never do, but we all have this, right? We all have things that we boast in. Before this, we might have been boasting in our health. I mean, as long as I've got my health, right, everything is going to work out just fine. As long as nothing is wrong with the family, then, then everything is going to be good. Or sometimes we, we boast about our, we take confidence in our financial prowess and how secure we are and how set up we are and all of this kind of stuff. Our, our own strength, we take pride in. And when we do that, when we have this sort of arrogant self-confidence, it makes us dependent on ourselves, become self-dependent rather than God-dependent. And this angers God. And we have to stop and just at least ask why. Why is it that God gets angry at sin like this? Well, it's because, of course, sin robs us of the lofty humanity that God had intended for his children. And so when we sin, sin hurts us and others. So it, it actually hurts the children that God loves. And when that happens, his, his whole mama bear thing starts to kick in. My son, Joel, he uh, got uh, Cheryl some mama bear gear, right? He got her the mug with a little, it's it's like a picture of a bear and it says mama in there. And of course, any of you who know Cheryl well know how fitting uh, this mama bear idea is because for her and her children, um, there is just uh, nothing that would stop the mama bear from protecting her own. It's such a fitting picture even of our God. We understand that his instincts for us, his longing for us is so protective. I had heard a story about uh, this guy. He uh, has this, uh, this uh, mother who is super critical about anyone that he brings by. And so he had uh, fallen in love with this girl and he decided that he was going to bring her home to mom. But of course, he didn't want to like just bring her home because he figured if I bring her home, then my mom's going to be critical. And so he, he set up this elaborate scheme. And so he actually brought home four women and um, he didn't tell his mom which one that he was interested in. And so they spent the evening, they had dinner and they hung out. And then afterwards, after all of the, the women went home, he asked his mom, he said, mom, so... 
you know, do you, what do you think? Like, how, how do you, um, how, do, how do you feel? Which, which one of them uh, do you think I like? And uh, the mom says, well, clearly, son, it was, the, it was the blonde with the short hair. And the son was like, you're right. How, how in the world did you know that that was the one? And the mom says, well, because that's the only one that I, I just, I didn't like. And, and so, you know, because nothing is going to ever be good enough for her son. And God, he looks at our lives and he sees our sin and he sees our split focus and affection and it isn't good enough for us. See, because only our full dependence and our full devotion on God is going to do what God wants it to do. It's the only thing that is going to bring the kind of health and happiness and wholeness to our souls. And so God must fight against our sin and he must fight against our doubt and he has to fight against our fear in order to put himself at the center of our affection so that we might thrive because nothing short of him is good enough for his children. Now we're all familiar with this part of the promise and I don't want to linger on it here too long because weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. So I don't know if any of you have animal phobias. Can you guess like what critters provoke the most phobias? If you have any guesses as to kind of the critters, go ahead and drop those in the chat. And, uh, you know, maybe some of the guys here who are watching the chat, maybe you can read out to me any of those that are coming. I, I can, we can guess a few of them, right? So the, what, the critters that cause real phobias, we certainly could think of like spiders. That's, that's a big one. And, of course, you know, that's certainly true. Uh, snakes are another big one for sure. Um, that's, uh, that creates big. And, of course, yes, rats create phobias for all sorts of people. And, and they're actually, it's actually got a name, as all of these phobias do, musophobia, fear of, of rats and, and mice and, and things like that. And I don't know if any of you are already disturbed that I, I have a plush uh, rat here up with me, and you might already be looking at it and be like, oh, I just, you know, these things make me nervous. And, and so we have these phobias, and you've got you to think through this for just a moment, because the, what a phobia does is it causes a person to see nothing but their fear. So if you actually really did have a legit phobia, a musophobia, you could be in a, a giant room filled with all sorts of people, which, you know, we, we, I, we don't do that anymore, I guess. But kids, there was a time when we used to gather in large groups of people. And uh, back in those days, if you had seen a, a rat out of the corner of your eye, kind of like poking out way, way over there, it's all you would see. Everything else would go dark around it, and you would fixate on the object of your fear. And this happens. When dark days descend on us, it's sometimes hard for us to see anything else. Right? How many of us are now fixated on coronavirus news? or the death statistic. What is the new number for the day? Or maybe it's the protests that you can't stop reading about, or it's the economic ruin that everyone is talking about and predicting. See, we fixate on the darkness, and then it, it leads us down even darker tunnels. And it might seem like morning will never come, but it will. King David wove that throughout the whole of this song. 
He knew that his enemies would be beaten. He knew that he would be restored to health. He understood that his fear of death didn't actually hold final sway over him because his God had promised him that joy would come in the morning. Because joy does come. But we need to hold on until the morning. We need to be able to make it to the morning. So I'm meditating on this psalm this week and I was reminded of some other stories and statistics that I had heard about over the years. One of them was divorce. So on lists of life's greatest stressors, number two is divorce or separation. So there's almost nothing else in this world that you could experience worse than divorce or separation, which I think anyone going through a divorce or a separation will be able to vouch for this. But researchers remind us that couples considering divorce will end up less happy in the long run than those that stick together. Now, I'm not talking about extreme situations of abuse or the safety of a spouse or children or anything like that. But here's how the researchers put it. In a careful analysis of nationally representative data with extensive measures of psychological well-being, we could find no evidence that divorce or separation typically made adults happier than staying in an unhappy marriage. Two out of three unhappily married adults who avoided divorce reported being happily married five years later. You see, marital discord, arguing, bickering, even some of the pressures that you are feeling right now, even the apathy that can, can grow in an unprotected marriage. Yes, these are a long, dark slog in the, in the darkest of night. But joy comes in the morning. You just, you need to make it to the morning. Or you can consider the topic of suicide. Cheryl and I have watched a couple of seasons of this show called uh, Chicago Fire. It's about firefighters. And in, uh, in one of these uh, episodes, one of these firefighters, uh, there's, a, there's a jumper who's, a, who's threatening uh, to commit suicide. And this firefighter straps himself up. He ties himself off with, with, with a rope. And he kind of creeps up behind a guy. And, and right when it looks like the guy's about to jump, which, which he was, the firefighter runs over and he leaps over the edge and he grabs the guy. But of course, the momentum pushes them both right over the, the edge. And so they, they actually do fall over the edge. And in that moment, the jumper starts crying out and saying, please don't let me go. Please don't let me go. Don't, don't let me drop. The episode is entitled, Until Your Feet Leave the Ground. Because in that moment, it seemed like a good idea until the very moment after when his feet left the ground. And now he's begging that someone would save him. And it turns out that that episode has some very solid research behind it. There's a story of a 28-year-old man, Ken Baldwin. And he threw himself off the Golden Gate Bridge which absolutely deadly jump. He was severely depressed that day. And even though he was severely depressed, he said that the very moment he jumped, he regretted it. He said, I instantly realized that everything in my life 
that I'd thought was unfixable was totally fixable, except for having just jumped. And of course, he's one of the rare survivors of that jump. But he isn't alone. Others have survived it. Another man, Kevin Baldwin, same exact experience, until his feet left the ground. A researcher actually gathered up a, a number of survivors, nine or ten of the survivors of that same jump, and interviewed each to find out the same exact thing. That there was regret. In fact, this applies not just to jumpers, but to 94% of all of the suicide attempts that were prevented. When researchers follow up with them later on, they live long, happy lives that end up regretting what they had attempted and glad that they are still alive. Researchers call this cognitive constriction, and they describe this as an intense focus whereby a suicidal individual cannot see anything beyond the immense pain, misery, and hopelessness of their current situation and their current emotion. They actually describe it as having really dark blinders on that point to a single microscopic focal point. And it's all they can see, it's all they can believe. Sometimes it lasts for minutes or hours or sometimes days or longer. But if they can make it past the constriction, then joy comes in the morning. Max Lucado, he put it like this, despair will not rule the day. Sorrow will not last forever. The clouds may eclipse the sun, but they cannot eliminate it. Night might delay the dawn, but it cannot defeat it. Morning comes. Not as quickly as we want, not as dramatically as we desire, but morning comes, and with it comes joy. All right, my last reference to rats on, on Mother's Day, but, but here we go. There's an exceptional study that was done by Marion Diamond from UC Berkeley. And in this study, they gave a whole group of rats this uh, very easy life. And so they put them in little rat, like uh, lazy boy chairs, and, and they gave them all sorts of food and the snacks and anything they could want. And there were no challenges in their life. And then they had another group of rats that they gave all of these challenges to. And the group of rats that they gave challenges to, they lived longer lives and they had, they had healthier brains. And so the moral of the, the study was that if you love a rat, you have to give it problems to overcome. You have to give this rat a dark night in which to make it through. But the study went on and it said, all right, well, let's see what happens when you take groups of rats, when you form little rat communities and, and you let those rats solve problems together. And sure enough, when they did that, when they created little rat communities, I guess we could call them small groups, um, and, and when you put these rats in little small groups and you gave them challenges to overcome, when you gave them dark nights that they needed to make it through, they actually excelled even more than the rats who had to solve life's problems on their own. So they lived longer lives and they had even healthier brains than the control group which of course is already pretty fascinating because of course the moral of this story is if you love a rat, give it a problem to overcome, but make sure it's in community when you do that, which fortunately God has given us in the church, which is actually one of the reasons why we continue to encourage you guys to get into small groups 
Because no one ought to be alone, especially at times like this. So get into a group and, and, and be an encouragement and pray with them and for them and let them pour love onto you as well because there's another part of this study which was super fascinating. So they went on to show that if you, that the, the absolute longest lived rats with the best developed brains they were, of course, the rats that solved problems in community, but the researchers did one additional thing that, that gave them even greater success in their little rat lives. What was that one thing? Can you guess what it was? Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and tell the people you're sitting with what you think that one thing the researchers gave them that changed everything again for them. What was it? It was love. So they figured out ways to give rats some love, and so they, I guess afterwards they picked them up and they... They, were, they just said nice things to them and they whispered sweet nothings in their ears and they figured out ways to like show the rats affection. And, and so they, they made certain that the rats knew that they were loved. They proved it to them. And so the moral of this story, of course, is if you love a rat, then give them problems that they need to overcome, dark nights that they need to make it through and make sure they do that in community and make certain that they understand that they are loved. This is exactly what God has done for us. So Jesus, he dies on the cross, and we're told that darkness enveloped the land. In Mark 15, it says at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so here is Jesus in darkness with no community and no affirming words of love coming from his father. Utter and complete darkness. Weeping, mourning. But that's not, of course, where this ends, because it didn't stay dark forever. In Mark 16, very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When did all of this happen? Just at sunrise. I think this is a picture of what's happening and why the, the scriptures make these kinds of promises to us over and over again. It's because joy comes with the morning. Jesus died in darkness so that we would never have to fear the darkness of death or any other darkness that this world or that Satan, our ultimate enemy, throws at us because joy comes with the morning. Because the morning came and it brought the light of the resurrection. And that was the great promise. See, we don't need to fixate on our phobias or the darkness because joy comes with the morning. We don't have to, to worry about what will happen further down the road because joy comes with the morning. So don't fixate on your fears, but instead fix our eyes on the author, on the perfecter of our faith. Listen, some of you right now, you are facing dark nights. You're facing these dark nights, and, and many of you, if you're not facing them yet, you will be. Dark days are coming, and yes, weeping may last through the night. And so you've got relational 
distress happening right now, hold on till morning. And you're battling thoughts of depression. Hold on till the morning. Embrace this promise. You've got hurts and heartache and frustration and loss. And yes, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the great promise of the scriptures. The power of the resurrected Christ at sunrise will bring joy with the morning that dawns. Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you hear on this very odd Mother's Day, Lord, that you would shower us with your love and your affection. Lord, you have been working to reprogram us, changing us from the inside. Your promises, they wash over us in the midst of our heartache and our fear, our loss. Lord, we so desperately need your love. We get a picture of what that looks like here and there and again throughout the scriptures, yet we see it most fully and completely at the cross where we see your son living through the darkest of nights, knowing joy comes in the morning. Give us that hope, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.